0: The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. We began our study last week in Paul's first letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, this Is one of the pastoral epistles, and it is pastoral advice, Paul's, the Apostle Paul's pastoral advice to a, a young minister, Timothy, who is in his first pastorate here, the church at Ephesus. We saw last week that Paul is writing to Timothy, giving instructions to him on how to deal with those. In the church that Paul says wants to be, they want to be teachers of the law. They want to be teachers of the law. But these men, they did not have understanding, didn't understand the law. And so they were teaching a a different doctrine. They were going off into these endless genealogies and these myths. They're promoting speculations. This is what Paul says. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any doctrine." nor devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Certain persons swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding what they are saying or the things about which they make Confident assertions. These teachers here in the church at Ephesus are teaching a different doctrine. And this different doctrine is creating some division in the church here at Ephesus. And there are here in the church some wolves disguised not only as as sheep, but disguised as elders. And so... What you have in, in this church here at Ephesus is that there are some true teachers and there are some false teachers. There are those who are teaching what accords to sound doctrine and there are those that, that are not, that are going off into these myths and genealogies and speculations. And among that group, there isn't a good stewardship of the things that are from God according to faith. What Paul's doing here. The first part of chapter one is he's he's holding up the apostles' teaching versus these false teachers. And it's it's speculations versus good stewardship. It's a charge that comes out of love and a pure conscience and those who have some different motives. Probably motives to seem smart or to have some sort of special understanding or special knowledge. You sort of get that sense. They have no understanding here. Even among the things to which they make such confident assertions. Well, what is it that they're teaching? We we don't know. We talked about this last week. We don't know exactly what these myths are, what these speculations are, but we do know a couple of things. One, they they deal with genealogies, and secondly, it deals with the law. They desired to be teachers of the law, they saw themselves as teachers of the law. And so some might come to this text and and would say, well, you see, the problem was, as Paul saw it, that Paul taught the gospel, and these false teachers taught the law, and so we then, therefore, should only teach the gospel and not the law. There are some that, that go there, and they might even use this text. To say, see, they taught the law and that was the problem. They should have been teaching the gospel. I would, I would venture to say that there's probably more people and more pastors that believe that than you probably think. You, you might think that on some level. It seems to be fairly common. And it's a, a teaching that is um, endorsed by one of the most influential pastors in America. His name is Andy Stanley. He's in Alpharetta, Georgia. Pastors, um, what's the name of his church? I don't even remember. They got a bunch of them. North something, what? North Point. Andy Stanley's propagating this sort of, Teaching that we should only teach the gospel and not the law. This is some quotes from him. This is from his latest, one of his latest books called Irresistible, reclaiming the new that Jesus unleashed for the world. He says that we have been on the wrong track. We need to change if we're going to reach the next generation with the gospel. What is this wrong track? It is that modern Christianity relies too much on the Old Testament. The problem with the modern church is our incessant habit of reaching back into the Old Covenant concepts, teachings, sayings, and narrative. As a result, Christianity has lost its mojo. I didn't even know Christianity had a mojo. These vestiges of the Old Covenant have led, Stanley says, to a variety of vices in the church. Prosperity gospel, the crusades, anti-Semitism, legalism, exclusivism, judgmentalism, and more. So, so Stanley offers a clear call to church leaders. Would you consider unhitching your teaching of what it means to follow Jesus from all things Old Covenant? This is necessary because when it comes to stumbling blocks of faith, the Old Testament is right up there at the top of the list. Put simply, when people struggle to believe, the Old Testament is usually the culprit. So is the problem here in Ephesus, is the problem in the modern church today, is the problem the Old Testament? That's, that's really what Paul is, is writing to, to show Timothy and to, to show us, to show the church the, uh, a good and right theology and understanding of the law. The law. When we talk about the law, we use language of the law. What we mean by it is... The, the Old Covenant or the Old Testament. And so what we want to do this morning is sort of get a, a theology of the law or the Old Testament as Paul teaches us here in these verses. The very first thing that Paul makes sure that Timothy understands and that we understand is that the law is Good. The law is good. You see, the problem here among these false teachers isn't the law. The law isn't the problem. Because the law is good. Look look at at verse 8. It's almost like Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, anticipates this question. Right? Right? So if you've got these false teachers and they're in your church and they're teaching, they they see themselves teaching the law, but they're they're teaching a different doctrine, then does that mean that we as as New Testament believers that we shouldn't teach the law? It's it's like Paul anticipates this, this question. And so Paul says, now we know that the law is Good, if one uses it lawfully. You see, the, the problem in Ephesus and maybe the problem in our modern-day churches, I mean, Stanley might be right that there's some issues, but maybe he's just wrong on where those issues land. The problem isn't the law. The problem's not the Old Testament. But why? Because Paul tells us that the law is... Good. Now, when we read that, we say, now we know that the law is good. Then we should ask ourselves, what is it that makes the law good? I mean, if if we have an old covenant and we have a new covenant, then the old has passed away and the new has come, then is the old still of any use? Is the old still... Any, any good? That's, that's really the question. And so, what is it that makes the law good? Well, the first thing that makes the law good is that the law is from God. That the law comes from God. The law arises out of Him. The law comes by His command. That God is the one Who has given the law. And if if the law originates, if it comes from God, then it's good. Because all of the things that come from God are good. Right? This is is the, the pattern of creation. God creates and says what? It is good. It is good. It is good. In creation, in creation. God begins to give his law. And as such, it is part of creation and part of what is good. Here's why I say that Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, is the first law given. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Who gave this law? God gave this law. God gave this law. He gave it to humanity, He gave it to humanity for their good, He gave it because the law is good. The law is good first because the law comes from God. It doesn't originate out of man. It originates out of God. And if it is from God, then it is therefore good. The second reason why the law is good is because we're told that the law is pure. The law is pure. (coughs) Psalm 19 verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. These commandments are the laws, that the law of God is is pure. Because the law comes from God, then it carries with it by its nature a purity. Because God is pure. The law is good because it comes from God. The law is good because it is pure. The law is good because it is True. Psalm 119, 142. Just by the way, Psalm 119 is the, the, the longest uh, chapter in all of the Bible, right? In the middle of the Bible, and it is a love letter to the law of God. This is what it says in Psalm 119, 142 Your righteousness is righteous forever, and your law is true. The law is true. The, the law is good because the law is true. The law is also good because the law is perfect. <clears throat> Psalm 19, verse 7. For the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise simple. The law of God, which comes from God, is pure, it is true, it is perfect. And then fifthly, there's lots more reasons. We could do the whole sermon on why the law is good, but just five reasons. The last one being that it is the law that brings blessing through obedience. There's all sorts of places where we could look at how the law brings blessings through obedience. But one place in particular where it just shines forth is Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffer, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The law is good because the law invites blessings through obedience. The law, by its nature, in its character, is good. Here's what that means. It means that the problem here at the church in Antioch um, or Ephesus isn't the law. It's not the law. The law is not the problem. So what is the problem? Well, notice there is a condition applied here, isn't there? Now, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. You see, the condition applied here is if one uses the law lawfully. If one uses the law lawfully. So what does that mean? What does that mean? It means that if one uses it in a way that keeps the law, right? I mean, the law is good if one uses it lawfully. You see the the, the there's some parallelism here, right? Like the law is good if you use the law lawfully. The law, by its nature, is good if you use the law in a way that keeps the law. And it's, and it's good. Here's what that means. It means that there is a proper understanding and application of the law. That's what it means. There's a proper understanding and application of the law. It means that that the law does not exist for somebody to read it and interpret it in any way they choose or apply it in any way that they choose. That there is a right and proper understanding and application of the law. Mm -hmm. And if the law is used in the manner in which God intends it to be used, then the law is good. And if the law is used in a manner and applied in a manner in which God does not intend it to use, then it's not good. Now that should raise a question for you. We need to do some thinking about this. We need to be real clear that what Paul doesn't mean is that the The inherent goodness of the law is determined by our use of the law. That's not what Paul means. Does that make sense? What Paul means is that the law is good for us if we use it in the manner that God wants it to be used. And the law is of no good for us if we use it and apply it in a manner in which God does not intend it to use. Be used. The inherent nature and characteristic of the law isn't in jeopardy by our use. The law is good, but its usefulness, its goodness for us, is dependent on how we use it. When the law is understood and applied to the person, in such a way where we look at it or we hear it or we understand it and we see that it comes from God, is without blemish, is truthful, is perfect, has not been added to, and calls us to obedience in so bringing us blessings, then it is good for us. It's good for us. The problem isn't the content of the law. The problem isn't the character of the law. The problem is the condition of the one using the law. That's the problem here in this church. The problem isn't the law. It's not the Old Testament. There's no fault in its character. There's no fault in its content. The fault is found in the condition of the heart of the man using it. That's that's the, the problem. They were not using the law of God to make a charge of love out of faith, being good stewards of what God had given. They were using the law for speculations. That's the problem here in the church. So, Paul is writing to Timothy, and to me, and to you, and he's saying, the law is good, so use the law, but use it lawfully. We should ask, well, what does that look like? To use the law lawfully. What does that look like? Well, Paul tells us. First, he tells us in verse 9. And we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient. The law is of great use still today. The law is good, the law is holy, the law is righteous, and it is of great use, Paul says, for the sake of unbelievers. For the sake of unbelievers. Paul says, the law was not given, it was not laid down for the just The law was given, it was laid down for the lawless and the disobedient. I want you to understand, I want you to see how that flies absolutely in direct conflict to everything Andy Stanley teaches about the law. He says the law is not good for those who are coming to faith. That's what he says. If there's a problem with unbelief, it usually rests in the law. What Paul says is the law was given for those people. The law was given for those who are lawless and disobedient, not for the just. The law is of good use and is used lawfully when it is applied to the heart of the unbeliever. It was not given for the just. It was given for the lawless and the disobedient, the unbeliever, the unregenerate for those who do not know God, for those who do not submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's to whom the law was given. Now, we are Baptists, but just barely so. And being such, we're not afraid to look at some catechisms. Uh, Our Friends in the faith, the PCAs, they they like catechisms. We don't, as Baptists, so much like catechisms. As a matter of fact, we say we're 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 a non creedal people, but we have a creed. I'll let you work that out. Um, and so there is a catechisms are incredibly helpful. If you don't know what a, a catechism is, a catechism is. It's, just, it's a, a series of questions and answers used to, to answer questions of the faith and to teach doctrine and, and theology. And um, they're, very, they're very useful in the development of, of our um, faith and theological understanding. They're very useful, especially in the development of um, children. One of the things I love about school our kids go to, PCA school, and um, they work through the shorter catechism, Westminster Shorter Catechism. Um, But there's some questions in the larger catechism that deal with the law. And I think they they serve us in, in this text here. In the Westminster Catechism, question 96 says, what particular use is there of the moral law to unregenerate men. What's the use of the law to the unregenerate? That's the question. Here's the answer. The moral law is of use to unregenerate, unregenerate men to awaken their consciences to flee the wrath that is to come. It's first to awaken them to flee the wrath that is to come, and secondly, to drive them to Christ. Or, <coughs> upon their uh, continuance in the estate and way of sin, to leave them inexcusable and under the curse, therefore. <laughs> That the law is good for the unregenerate because it awakens them to the wrath that is to come and drives them to Christ or leaves them without excuse and under the curse. That's why the law is good. It awakens us to our sin. It awakens us to the wrath of God and it should drive us to Christ. One of the reasons why catechisms, especially the Westminster Catechism, can be so helpful is because on each of the question and answer, there is given a a series of... um, Bible references, verses to reference that drive home what's being um, taught here. And so here's the, the four verses that are given here, four passages that are given here for this one. If you take notes, you want to go back and look at them, I would encourage you to. The first is 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. The second is Galatians 3, verse 24. The third is Romans chapter 1, verse 20, chapter 2, verse 15. And the fourth is Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. Well, what good is the law? How is the law used lawfully? It's used lawfully because it was given to the unregenerate, not to the just, so that they could see their sin and be driven to Christ. Question 97. This is the next question. Well, what special use is there of the moral law to the regenerate? Well, if there's good for the unregenerate, what good is there for the regenerate? Those who have been born again. The answer. Although they that are regenerate and believe in Christ be delivered from the moral law as a covenant of works. All right, we'll stop there. Just That's what we read in Galatians. That's what we just sang about. The law enslaves us because the law reveals our sin to us. It doesn't, it doesn't free us from our sin. So what, what this is saying is is that those who've been regenerate, they have now been delivered from this moral law of works so that they... so that. At so as thereby they are neither justified nor condemned by the law. Yet beside the general uses thereof common to them with all men, it is of special use to show them how much they are bound to Christ for His fulfilling it and enduring the curse thereof in their stead and for their good, and thereby to provoke them to more thankfulness and to express the same in their greater care to conform themselves thereunto as the rule of their obedience. Now is the law good for those who have been regenerate? It's good for us because it shows us Christ and His perfect keeping of the law and His suffering under the curse of the law So that we could be freed from the law and therefore be obedient to it. And then a series of Bible verses to reference Romans 6, 14, 7 and 4, Galatians 4, 4 and 5, Romans 3, 20, Galatians 5, 23, Romans 8, 1, Romans 7, 24 and 25, 8, 3 and 4, all of Romans, Galatians 3, 13 through 14. You see, the purpose of the law, as Paul tells us here, the law was given. It's, it's, a, it's good if it's used lawfully. To use it lawfully, we must understand that it was not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient. That The, the purpose of the law is to show willing sinners their sin and their need for a Savior. That's why the law is good. The law is morally right and good. It is. But the law alone is not good news. In the law alone, there's no good news. God gave the law so that we could look in it as a mirror. And it would reflect back to us our true selves. Guilty unjust sinners, disobedient, unable to keep it. There's no good news in that. The law alone has no good news in it. Because it forces man to recognize the bad news that we're all guilty of violating God's standards. And the law therefore condemns every single one of us The law sentences all of us to hell. No wonder people want to unhitch ourselves from it. Because it shows us really who we are. Now, I know this is tough teaching. It is not popular to stand in a pulpit and say that the law of God condemns you to hell. But it does. Romans chapter 3, this is 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. The whole world held accountable to God. For by works... Of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. No human will be justified in the sight of God because God gave His law. It holds all of humanity accountable to their sin. And in doing so condemns us to an eternity in hell. This is the purpose of the law. And when it is used to show man his sin, it's used lawfully. So Paul goes on to make a list of the kind of people that the law is for. These are the characteristics of the unregenerate. For we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient. So he gives this this listing of the characteristics of those who are not just, and it's interesting the way that he lays them out. The first three are are, are given in these three couplets. And they all deal with our relationship to God. So you see them here. The lawless and disobedient. That's the first couplet. The ungodly and sinners, the second. The unholy and the profane, the third. These all deal with with our relationship to God. And they all reference back, and this is structured in the same way as the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments begin with our relationship to God and end with our relationship to others. It's the same pattern that Paul follows here. And there's reason for this. There's parallelism here because he's, he's calling us back to the law of God. So he says the, the law is not laid down for the just, but it's laid down for the lawless. Who are the lawless? The lawless are those without any standard. The law is the standard of how to live. So if you are lawless, you have no standard. Your standard is, is whatever you want it to be. That is no standard at all. And if you are lawless, if you're without a standard, then that leads to being disobedient. Or some translations, maybe even better than the ESV put, rebellious. Rebellious. If you are lawless, if you have no standard, if you don't keep the law, then you are rebellious against God. This lawlessness is tied with disobedient or rebelliousness. The second is ungodly. The ungodly are those without regard to anything sacred. They have no regard for anything that is held as sacred. Such people, therefore, then, are sinners. They live without regard for God's law because they have no regard for God. There are the lawless who are disobedient. There are the ungodly who are sinners. And there are the unholy. This is a person who is absolutely indifferent to what is right. He is indifferent to God. He is indifferent to his duty to him, and that indifference, that unholiness, leads him to trample over what is sacred. That is what it means to be profane. Just to trample over what's held as sacred. See, all of those deal with our relationship to God. We have no regard for him, we have no care for him, we have no understanding of him. We have no desire to be obedient to Him. We are rebellious. We are sinful. We are profane. That's who the law was given to. It was given to those people so that they would, in the law, see the holiness of God, the purity of God, the righteousness of God, and in doing so, understand their own failures, sinfulness, rebelliousness. Profanities. The rest of the list, then, the second half, deals with our relationships to other people. This is exactly the way the Ten Commandments are structured. Paul continues, for those who strike their fathers and mothers. This is a violation of the Fifth Commandment, to honor your father and mother. For murderers, he says... This is a violation of the Sixth Commandment. Thou shalt not kill. Murder. Verse 10. To the sexually immoral and men who practice homosexuality. That is a violation of the Seventh Commandment. Against adultery. Just because it's here and it's a hot-button issue, just, let's just be clear. The Bible says what the Bible says, and we must not shrink from it. That homosexuality is a sin. And that it is the unrighteous, the lawless, the disobedient, the ungodly, the sinner, the unholy, the profane. That they are the murderers. They are lumped in together with homosexuals. They are. We can't say they're not. We can't shrink from it. It's there. It says what it says. Next is enslavers. This is a violation of the commandment not to steal. Next is liars and perjurers. This is a violation of the ninth commandment. Don't bear false witness. Now this, I mean, you read this. I mean, we just just read it. The law is not given, not laid down for the just. But for the lawless, the disobedient, the ungodly, the sinner, the unholy, the profane, those who strike their father and mother, murderers, sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, those who steal people and enslave them, liars, perjurers, that is a heinous list of people. Right? And some would read that and say, whew, that ain't me. I don't rise to that level. Well, church, that is exactly why the law was given. The law was given to show you, yes, you, and me, that this is us. This is us. And just so that that was made abundantly clear, Jesus clarifies it for us in his Sermon on the Mount. (laughs) Matthew chapter 5. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Don't think I've come to unhitch the gospel from the Old Testament. I have not come to abolish the Them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, unless heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until it's all accomplished. And so then Jesus begins to teach on the law, verse 21. You have heard that it was said of those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable of judgment. I'm glad that's not me, I've never murdered. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Verse 27, You have heard it said, You shall not commit adultery. It's not me. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in his heart. Uh Uh-oh. See, church, what we cannot do, what we cannot do, if we're going to use the law lawfully and see its inherent goodness, when we come to this kind of a list, we have to hold it up as a mirror and see that this is you. This is me. We are all guilty of these things. All of us. That's what the law does. The law shows all of humanity its guilt before a holy God. The standard is inward. That's Jesus's point. The standards Is inward. What's in your heart? So just in case we come to this and we say, well, we're not those bad things. Paul just kind of wants to put the nail here in the coffin. And he says, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. (laughs) Whatever else. Just in case you think you can slide by whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Church, this is why the law is good. This is why we still need the law today. Because the law shows us, first and foremost, the law shows us our sin. Because in order to be made right with God we must first see our true condition before Him. And that, is, that, that condition before Him is not determined by us holding ourselves up to somebody else as the standard. We can always find somebody worse than, than us. It's found by holding ourselves up to God's standard as given in the law and i fall miserably terribly sure <clears throat> the law is first to show us our sins and our judgment before a holy god that is of no good news but the law secondly is to show us the glory of the gospel paul continues in verse 11 in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. You see, the law is a necessary part of the gospel because if there were no bad news that men were lost sinners, then there could be no good news of Christ's redemption. The law shows us our sin and radiates forth with the glory of the gospel. Because God did not leave us condemned because we could not keep the law. God sent His Son to keep it in our place and to die the death, the judgment that we deserved. The law is good because it reveals to us the gospel of glory. The gospel of glory. I just love the way that that Paul puts it here. With the gospel of the glory of of the blessed God that's strange language for the gospel. What, what's, he, what's Paul meaning when he says this gospel of the glory of the blessed God? What Paul means is that the law sh- shines forth who we are. The gospel shines forth who He is. And it's greater. It's far greater. The, the law is a mirror in which we look at And see our sin. The gospel is a radiant light that reveals to us the glory of God. It shows us His attributes. It shows us His justice. That God is just and cannot let sin go unpunished. And so therefore He sent His Son, born of a woman, and put forward as Romans 3 says, a a propitiation, a payment for our sins. Why? Because in the former times God had passed over sins previously committed. So that in Christ and in his sacrifice, that God could be just and the justifier of men. God cannot let sin go unpunished, so he sent his son to be punished. He is just. It shines forth his holiness. It shines forth His love. It shines forth His mercy. It shines forth His grace. The Gospel reveals the glory of God. And what Paul is is doing here is he is showing us us how right and sound doctrine relates to the glory of God in the Gospel. These, These false teachers, they are teaching different doctrine. They're taking the law and they're twisting it. And in doing so, they're they're rising up among you all of these myths and endless genealogies and all of these speculations, and no one, no one is being helped by it. They think they're teachers of the law, but they don't understand the law. Because to understand the law means to understand that it was given for those who are guilty before God. That is, it was given for the good of all of humanity. Because when we rightly understand it and we rightly apply it, we see our sin and we see the glory of the gospel found in Jesus Christ. So Paul's command to Timothy, remember, is... Be a good steward of what's been given that's according to faith. Right and sound doctrine always relate to the glory of God in the gospel. That is why right and sound doctrine, right and sound understanding of the word of God matters. That's why it matters to God. That's why it should matter to us. That's why we must have a right and proper understanding of the law because it enables us to have a right and proper understanding and faith in the gospel in the gospel this problem isn't just an Ephesians problem it's a today problem It's an Alpharetta problem. It's a Calera problem. So we must be people who strive our best to see the law as good and use it lawfully and in it see our very own sin. In the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And through it, by God's grace, to help those around us see their sin. And the glory of the gospel in Jesus Christ. Father, would you help us to rightly understand your word. The law that was given. And to see that it was given to us and for us. For our good. It is good because it was given so that we could see our sin, every one of us. We are those in, included in that heinous list because we are in desperate need, desperate need of the forgiveness of sin because we are guilty before you. And this is why the gospel is good news of the glory of the blessed God. Because in the gospel, in the person of Jesus Christ, in His perfect keeping of the law, and in His sacrificial death, we find the only remedy for what our sin produces. Father, would we rightly understand the law so that we can rightly understand the gospel? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.